like it, like it. That was good, that was good. <laughs> if the sound of a machine tool removing metal gets your blood pumping, then you are Metal Working Nation. This is Making Chips, where we talk all things metalworking, engineering and design, production and tooling combined with business best practices, technology, marketing, news, and new media for manufacturing professionals. Here are your hosts, business owners, metalworking experts, and guys who get dirty on the factory floor, Jim Carr and Jason Zanger. Now, let's make some chips. Hey, hello, Metalworking Nation, Jim, making chips. We are here in the IMTS TV booth, downtown Chicago, Illinois, in McCormick Place. Remember coming here when I was 16 years old with my dad. It's crazy to, to be sitting here. But I'm sitting here at this cool desk with these cool lighting and- Looking like a uh, uh, 10 p.m. news anchor. Yeah, you know? something it like that. You, Jim. I'm, I'm feeling it, I'm feeling <laughs> it. But anyway, I'm sitting across the desk from my good friend and co-host, Jay-Z, Jason Zanger. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing great, thank you. This has been fun. It's been meeting a lot of new people, getting to talk to some friends. You know, I mean, it's been, it's been really great. It, it's it, really, really, great. It, it really, really It's has all about been. the story. In it manufacturing, is. people, that's the thing that, you know, people outside of manufacturing don't realize that it's about the story. And I think we're gonna hear a great story in this episode. You know, it's coming, just last with Julie, I mean, that story thing is coming so much more crystal clear with yeah. me now. You know, yeah. you're always learning in life. I have a story, you have a story. I know. You just talked, about, you just talked a little bit about it. 16 I at IMTS, I, I mean. I know, it's, you know? It, it, it's, it's really crazy. It's so simple. Yeah, it's so it simple. Is. It but is. people don't realize that they need to convey that message across all those um, platforms. Right. Absolutely. So I, I don't know. It's just um, I, you know I'm constantly learning, and I'm I'm glad we are here today to share all this exciting stuff. Yes. Expose these people and inspire and equip manufacturing leaders. Yes. That's what so, we do. So. First of all, I want you to introduce our next guest, and I want, I'm really, it's really interesting how you two met, and then. Well, yeah, it was just a little bit impromptu. We have Jason Harrelson from Harrelson Trumpets, and welcome, Jason. Thank you. It's welcome, nice to Jason. be here. Yeah, so I've been following his Instagram posts for a while, and he has such beautiful posts of these machine trumpets, and he, he did a post here at IMTS, it got like 900 likes, and I reached out to him, how and many? I said, 900. Yeah. Nice. And, and I said, you know, why don't you come on the show? And he said, yeah, I'd love to. And, you know, here we are. So, I mean, it's just, you don't, when you hear about machining, I mean, no offense, Jim, but you hear about mostly about the job shop no environment. And when, you know, you hear about somebody here in the United States making these beautiful custom made trumpets. I mean, it's just, it's just amazing. I mean, um, kudos to you for, you know, for this little niche that you've made for yourself. I mean, it, it's great. Thank you. So, Thank you. Um, how did you get into machining trumpets? Well, uh, when I was in high school, I started playing trumpet, and I was a terrible trumpet player. Uh, but my band director really inspired me to, to take it seriously one day. So halfway through my junior year, I started practicing four hours a day, and I became the first chair player. And then I went to uh, a private school, uh, college in Minnesota. It's St. Olaf College, which most people don't even know, except from the Golden Girls. And, uh, <laughs> nice. Which Rose actually did go to school there. Nice. So, um, That's hilarious. Uh, I went to that school, and it was a, a great music school. And all the kids were way better than me. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I mean, literally, I was like, I was like an infant around adults because they were so good at music, and I had started so late. 
Um, but what I wanted to do was just become a performer on trumpets and uh, play in an orchestra or play jazz or whatever. And I discovered that uh, one of my friends had a brand new version of the exact same trumpet that I owned. Mine mm -hmm. was 30 years old and his was new. And he came to me one day and he said, hey, Jason, can I play your horn? Because I've heard those vintage horns play way better. Okay. And I thought, okay, well, take my horn. So he plays it. He goes to the practice room and he hands me his horn. And we play for like 15 minutes. And at the end, I don't want to give his horn back because it played so much better than mine. Hmm. It was the opposite of what he expected. Okay. The old horn didn't play very well. And it, it was no fault really of the horn. It was the way it had been handled over the years. But I was intrigued. I thought, how could they play different? It doesn't make sense to me that one that's 30 years apart from the other would play so different, especially when the manufacturing of the modern instrument was questionable because there were a lot of manufacturing issues going on with that company at that time. Okay. Uh, and everybody knew it. What were those issues that were going on? Uh, I mean, they had a strike. They had a big strike for a couple of years. They had okay. layoffs. Um, and then they hired a bunch of uh, uh, people that were not trained in musical instrument building at all. They were trained in RV assembly okay. to take over for the people that were, that were sure. booted. So, uh, and this is a precision manufactured product. I mean, there's, there's no getting be. around that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's supposed to, I mean, really, it's supposed to be. So you could tell when things didn't fit right on the newer horns. Right. But the newer horn played way better than mine. And uh, I really wanted to understand that. So I started studying the physics. And uh, I went into the lab. Uh, I was already a math major. And I eventually changed that to become a performance major. Uh, but I was really into the math and the science side of it, and I knew nothing about machining. Okay. Uh, my dad was a diesel mechanic and a truck driver. He okay. taught me a ton about mechanics and about engineering, but from that perspective, not from going to school and like. Sure. So uh, I had no problem taking things apart and putting them back together. I did that my whole life. Well, go back to that because your dad told a story about when he gave you a trumpet. It's the same trumpet. Okay. So this is the same trumpet. No, no, no. Oh. The, the the same trumpet that I had let my friend try. Okay. Um, that didn't play very well. I actually took it down to our basement and disassembled the whole thing. Yeah. And I rebuilt it. And your dad was like, "Why? Why you take trumpet apart?" Right. He just thought, "Well, it's a stupid thing that kids do, or whatever." <laughs> he didn't want me. You to You just be want doing to know that. why how it worked. Well, I wanted to know how it worked, and I had a theory that I could make the trumpet play more efficiently. Okay. So I thought if I could prove it on my own instrument, then I could, you know, maybe make another one and my goal was only to build a good instrument for myself so I could be a better player okay okay uh, long story short I rebuilt it it played much better um, eventually it led to me dropping out of college and building trumpets for a living wow, wow. okay so okay that was a fast forward there it was yes. I'm just, so so you so you drop out of college in order to manufacture trumpets is that is that did you where did you say to yourself I need to learn machining so I was fabricating the trumpets in the beginning, okay. which is the traditional way. And there were some things that were difficult to do because, uh, you know, bending. forming the entire yeah. bell. You were doing more forming than machining yeah, at that point. Fabrication yeah. is bending right. and yep. moving the metal, yep. whereas machining is cutting. Yeah. Right. So I, I really wasn't doing any cutting except with a scroll saw and a band saw and a set of files. And I got really good with those. Um, <clears throat> I could make artistic things in the horns and I could file sheet metal to almost any shape that would be possible with a okay. file. Uh, but it would take weeks to make something. Mm -hmm. um, and I knew that there had to be a better way, so I started learning more and more about machining and then CNC machining. Uh, and then eventually... And how long ago was that, Jason? Um, well, my first CNC machine would have been in 2002. Okay. So that so, was your first exposure to CNC machining? It was, and it was a... And what did you say? I, I need to buy one. Yes. And you did. I, I was like, I have to buy one, but I really couldn't afford it because I was 
doing way too much labor to make the horns. So there were beautiful horns back then, but they would take so long that there was not a lot of profit. Mm -hmm. um, so the first machine I bought was a Roland MDX-20. Nobody's ever heard of it. I was going to say what? <laughs> it, looks like a, it looks like an inkjet printer. It's about, you know, that oh, is size. Was it a tabletop CNC? It's a little tiny one, yeah. Yeah. And it just has a little uh, insert motor that's about a one-inch cube the, for the motor. Okay. And it would run at uh, maybe like 30,000 RPM or something. But no it would, torque, it would take though, forever, yeah. yeah. So I had to like take like two or three thousandths off at a time. Right. So the first trumpet brace I made took 80 hours. Wow. That's and I, I machined everything I could. I learned a lot about CNC machining. And then I traded that in, or I sold it, and I bought another one, and I, I kept trading up higher and higher until I got full-size, you know, VMC and and uh, a lathe with a sub-spindle and, and full machining capability. And, you know, so now I have a real machine shop. But, you know, it took many years of just trading up into better and better machines to learn more about it and to, to really do the, the work the right way. So That's was awesome. That's great. And how many machine tools do you guys have uh, in your shop now? Right now, all we have is a VMC. Okay and uh, a lathe with sub-spindle and milling. Okay, yeah. okay. That's all we need and, right and now. All, yeah, all of your trumpets, I mean, these are these are all custom-made. I mean, you're mm -hmm. not making production trumpets. I mean, right. you're getting an order from a musician and you're asking him questions, I assume. How exactly do you want this thing to look? Right. And you're custom-making it to his specifications. Right, I mean, we take the order. At, all of our advertising is word of mouth. Okay. So somebody has a trumpet out there, their friend sees it or plays it, and then they call us and order it. Uh, I mean, these trumpets are in the thousands of dollars. I mean, these yeah, are not they, these are not off the shelf trumpets. Not at all. Custom. Yeah, yeah. Custom. So, there's any celebrity clients? We do. Yes, yeah. we have uh, you know famous trumpet players from all over the world. Okay. Uh, here in the U.S., we have Arturo Sandoval, who's considered one of I've the best of trumpet him. players. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he defected from Cuba. Okay. In the '90s, and uh, he's a great Latin jazz trumpet player. But he plays everything, and he does a lot of studio work. Okay. So, um, yeah, our horns can be heard on a lot of the, the studio work for major movies. Great. Uh, one of the big ones he did was Spider-Man and Spider-Man 2. Okay. Neat. Those. Okay. Um, but, yeah, we, so we have clients from all over. Um, and, yeah, I mean, basically the, the way it works is somebody calls in, and we have a full interview, or they fly in and spend a day with me. Wow. wow. And then we just go over every single component, and then we build it the way they want it. Talk about communication, right? Yeah. I yeah. mean, really, Absolutely. that's what, I mean, that's that's a big component component of your sale, right. is to get it right. Exactly. And we guarantee we get it right. Yeah. What are the customizable pieces very, very and good, yeah. accessories, I would imagine, is probably a, a big thing, too, mm -hmm. that they would, that, that would be common in a right. custom manufactured trumpet. Well, that's the heart of the conversation of what I do. The The best question ever is, what is custom on a trumpet? Trumpet players even don't know what those components would be because they don't know about the, the science behind the way we do it. So the lead pipe, which is the section where you where the air first enters, this taper on the inside. Oh, that's a taper on the it's inside? It's a taper, yes. Okay. Um, so the instrument itself is one long taper. Whether you, know, whether you realize that or not, inside here it starts small. This one starts at 340, and it goes up to 460 here. 340 thousandths in yep. diameter, and right. it goes up to? 460. Oh, okay. So that's not too much of a taper. It's 120 no. thousandths, Without the taper, it wouldn't even play. Okay, interesting. Yeah. So it has to be there. Yeah, because okay. if you think about, like, when you whistle, I'm sure you're, like, you know, kind of puckering your mouth and making kind of a taper when you, when you whistle. Well, and the reason that it has to be a taper is because we are playing all the pitches. Right. Whereas if you play one pitch, then you can do that with a tube or just any oral cavity okay. just in your mouth. Yeah. Um, but if you want to produce a full range of pitches that's three or four octaves, 
then it has to be a taper to have uh, an intonation spectrum to be able to an do that. An intonation spectrum. Yeah, so we're using a lot of big it. words on making chips these days. Yes, you do, if you notice. <laughs> I could throw out some bigger ones when you do it after this episode. <laughs> so you ubiquitous. <laughs> ubiquitous, yeah, yeah. That, was, that was another word that we were using before. Um, so you, you mentioned before that there was a um, there was a machining process. It was either you solved it or you were looking to solve something that ha having to do with the thin wall tubing on the, on the trumpet. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, so the biggest problem with a traditionally made brass instrument is that you normally would bend all the tubes. So you fill them with pitch or okay. soapy water and you freeze it, and then you bend it around a form, okay. which I've done for years. And the problem with that is every time you bend a tube, like say this was bent instead of machined on the tuning slide, okay. uh, then the outside of the bend is actually stretched metal that's thinner. Because if you think about it, it's just like driving a car. Your outside wheel on the outside of a turn travels further. Right. Yes, it does. So you're stretching the metal further. Yeah. Right? And because you're doing that, it bunches up on the inside and stretches on the outside. And we have nodes and anti-nodes on all the different partials on the instrument. So if I play a pitch on the instrument, uh, and it's the lowest pitch, we call that the fundamental. Okay. It's one big giant sine wave with an anti-note in the middle. That's the high pressure zone. Meaning the center of the trumpet has the most pressure in the wave. If I play the next partial, which would be an octave above that, then we'd have two of those. And every time you play higher, you have one extra. Okay. So when you get up to uh, like the sixth, seventh partials, you have enough anti-notes that are exerting pressure on the tubing wall that they literally transfer the energy from the sound wave into vibration of the instrument. And what happens at that point is most of your energy is vibrating the trumpet rather than creating sound. Mm, okay. So I found a way to prevent that. Great. So now our instruments don't do that, meaning that as you go higher and higher, they're not less efficient. A standard instrument, the higher you play, the more partials, the less efficiency you have. Mm. But now ours are the same efficiency from the lowest to the highest. Uh -huh. Which means when you play it, it's just easy to play any note. Wow. So, Jason, your story is, is really compelling, and um, I can certainly um, empathize with it. And, you know, t I didn't know that manufacturing was going to be in my future as a young man either, and I just, you know, just kind of fell into it. Right. And I, I kept saying, what's going to be the best long-run thing for me and my family? And that's what it was, so mm -hmm. that's the direction I went. But... Um, why are you here today? What what drew you to IMT? What drew you from Denver, Colorado to Chicago, Illinois this week? Right. And there has to be something compelling here that you wanted to see or some new technology. Right. Uh, so I'm always searching for the, the latest, greatest technologies. I believe that adopting, being the earliest adopter of newer technologies is the route to success in terms of my creativity, but also production and efficiency and profit. I mean, all those things are important. If I'm really profitable, then I can bring the price point down on some of my products and offer them to more people. Uh, maybe they wouldn't be completely mass produced. They'd always have some custom aspect. But I'm here really just to explore all the new technologies and the new machinery. Uh, there are, I'm, I'm in the market for a Milturn Center, one that could do full five axis. Uh, and uh, at the same time, I might be interested in a five-axis machine all on its own. Yeah, I mean, that would be pretty, pretty great if, you know, the average trumpet player cannot afford one of your trumpets. But if you could figure out a machining process to make one that's maybe not like 
you know, like mass production, but is like an entry level Harrelson trumpet right. that you can manufacture less expensively, but still get that high quality. I think that, that would be that would be outstanding. We have a plan to do that this winter. We're launching our next uh, Kickstarter campaign soon. Oh, but, great! But uh, we've already done one earlier in the year. We're doing a new one that's trumpet related, but the one that we're doing this winter, which will be our third. Um, that we have planned is a hybrid modular trumpet okay. where we machine half of the instrument and then we 3D print the really hard parts that aren't easily machined. Oh, nice. So it's a hybrid like machine it. and printed trumpet. Wow. So 3D printing is yeah. a big part of the reason we're here yeah. as well. Yeah, I need to look at, I mean, I've, I've got a couple of young boys who haven't picked an instrument yet, but maybe mm -hmm. I'll have to get oh. one of your trumpets and, and say, here, this is your instrument. <laughs> I'm all about, play. I'm all about the music. So <laughs> that's, I totally that's, get oh, it. So, okay, let's go in a little bit of a different direction that I didn't think that we were gonna go into. Tell us about the, the Kickstarter campaigns, how you got into that. Were they successful? Why sure. were they successful? Uh, I mean, I got into Kickstarter because I had some friends online, like uh, social media friends, who were running Kickstarter campaigns, and a couple of them actually brought in two or three hundred thousand dollars for really simple things. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's crazy. I mean, a million of us must have thought of that one little thing. <laughs> Why didn't we make it and make all that money? Because yeah. my lathe could spit those out all day and night. Yeah. Right. You know. So I started thinking. I was like, you know what? I should just test out Kickstarter and see if it would work for what I do. Yeah. So I made a little spinning top. It's called Momentum. I saw that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yep. And uh, Momentum. What my goal was was to take the lightest top I could create a spinning top, machine it so that it's under 40 grams, and it would spin longer than the world record. And the, there was no world record for it. Oh, but there no. were claims that the world record was 10 minutes. Okay. okay. So I was trying to beat that. So I got real serious about it for a couple months, just uh, in the spring. And uh, I got uh, to the point where I made a 38 gram spinning top mm -hmm. with uh, precision pressed uh, contact ball in there. Yeah. Uh, so now oh, we're using the, rubies and sapphires. At the bottom of it? Yes. It's, it's beautiful, Jim. I, I've, really? se I've seen a picture. I mean, yeah. And I created and it's a... 38 grams. I created a... It is, yeah. And I created a stabilizer that I call the precision stabilizer system. And you can hold the spinning top in there and pull the string. And it keeps it on the spinning axis while it's in the stabilizer, which allows you to pull the string harder. So it'll, it'll spin with hand power at 15,000 RPM and it spins for over 20 minutes. How do you track that it's going 15,000 RPM? I have a laser tachometer. Okay, okay. So yeah. there's, there's my answer. <laughs> <laughs> I just measure it. Yeah. Like do, you, do, you, do you have one of those tops with you? I don't. I should have brought one. Okay. <laughs> um, I was going to ask you where, where, where I buy one now. Yeah, you can go to harrelsonmomentum.com. Okay. And then you can find the, okay. the momentum Great. spinning top. Great. Yeah. Okay, cool. so that was um, your first Kickstarter, and then was the next one for Tops also? The next one is launching in a couple weeks, and it's for this thing called the Mini Bell. Okay. And uh, basically what that is, is a physics tool to teach brass players how to play brass instruments better. So if you're a trumpet, trombone, yeah. French horn, tuba player, okay, um, you would use this device to learn about the physics of how the instrument works, because ironically, when you learn to play an instrument, all the way through, if you got your master's in trumpet, you would never learn the physics and acoustics involved. Okay. So it's a tool that goes along with a guide that teaches you how and why it works, and it makes trumpet players and brass players better players. Yeah. And I know because I've been doing these exercises with students for 15 years. Um, so now it's going to be an actual product. It just looks like a small trumpet bell. It's only like uh, six inches long, and it's got a one and five eighths inch bell diameter on okay. it. Okay. Okay. So it's just turn on the lathe. It's segmented, but it has a clear acrylic flexible tube that goes between the mouthpiece and the bell, so you can make the tubing any length. Okay, okay. Um, yeah, that's the next Kickstarter campaign before the, the hybrid trumpet. Now, nice. I actually have a 
product that I'm trying to launch. I've mm -hmm. got a couple partners on it, and I've been pitching to them to do a Kickstarter campaign. I would campaign strongly for it. recommend it. Okay, they're, they're kind of reluctant to do it. It's basically a, it's a fastener product that you um, you tighten it down most of the way, and then it uses like this cam action to um, put a significant amount of foot pounds on um, whatever kind of piece that you're holding it to. Like, and we we proposed a number of different things that we could use it for. You know, replacing the um, uh, the the oil cap on your car is one mm -hmm. thing. I mean, just anything where you hold it down. But if I were to go into a Kickstarter campaign. How do I do it successfully? How do you? Because like, I mean, I've never done it. I'm nobody in that Kickstarter right. community. I we just have an idea. So for the right. person out there that's a maker and they have an idea for a Kickstarter campaign, how do you do it successfully? You know, the key is to partner with as many media specialists and media okay. outlets as possible, as well as uh, partner with as many other people that could work with that product or use it in different places. Okay. Partnerships. I mean, I'm all about partnerships. I partner with every single group or company that I can yeah. everywhere because yeah. I share information, they share information, and then we come together and, and we see how those things, can, how we can collaborate. Okay. That's the easiest, best way. And how do you reward them if they're partnering with you in the... I mean, online it's easy because you just mentioned their name. Okay. Everyone wants okay. to be mentioned here and there. Yeah. In any industry, there are 10, 20, or 100 different people competing for the same market. Right. right. And uh, the more people that are partnered up, partnered up with each other, the more successful they're going to be. Okay, because I mean, not everybody can see this, but your trumpet actually is kind of like a NASCAR, where it, it has is. it has Beautiful. like you know a bunch of um, logos and stuff like that it's on it from some of your from some of your partners, and, and it's intentional, and it's you know yeah, it's part of part of the story. I, I like it. I like right. It. Well, yeah. So I put my partners' names on there. Some of those people we don't even have a partnership with. Yeah. But we respect just like them. We respect yeah. how how yeah. great of a job they do. Yeah. With what they've provided that we've just purchased, you know, actually. I mean, I've purchased everything that's that's on that horn. What kind of cam software do you use, Jason? Um, so right now I'm using Fusion 360. I'm okay. just really diving into that because it's a new thing from Autodesk. Okay. Um, I've I've used Inventor in the past, um, FeatureCam, and uh, Rhino, which most people don't know. Rhino? Yeah, Rhino. Yeah, I've heard so Rhinoceros, yeah. uh, I've used that the most. It has allowed me to create all these forms uh, that weren't available. You couldn't really do this in SolidWorks 10 years ago, or at least I couldn't. Um, it was really difficult to, to make the organic stuff, so I use Rhino. Yeah. I mean, you, you truly are the CNC machinist artisan, the way that yes. you do that. I, I like that. I try to make everything machined look like it was made by hand by mm -hmm. a sculptor. Okay. Great. Great. So Love it. Love it. It's my angle. <laughs> yeah. So is, is there any anything else for our listeners that... Uh, well, I would say this. How do they get a hold of you if they want to... Yeah. If, if you want to find our, our company, you can go to... HarrelsonTrumpets.com okay. or whyharrelson.com, which is W-H-Y, Harrelson. Okay. Uh, both of those websites, one's more of a store and the other is my blog and explains oh, okay. all about the company. Your story? Yes, my story. Okay. Um, and uh, a, on the side notes of all of that, I am a stroke and heart attack survivor. Oh, wow. I was wow. born okay. with birth defects that cause strokes and heart attacks. Oh, wow. So since people are listening, I always like to remind everyone yeah. to take care of yourself and a part of that, it really is to educate yourself on there strokes and heart attacks and, and vascular disease because you okay. never know when you might That's not it. wake up. You're my passionate mom just, about my that. My mom just had a stroke in May, so. There you go. I, I'm, yeah, I, so that's very And it could happen to too. any of us. Yeah. The odds are it'll happen to somebody yeah. at the show every right. day. I have it, I actually, Jim has it close to him. It runs, unfortunately, heart disease runs in my family. I actually just yeah. bought a book about, I think it was called Heart Attack Proof or something like that, trying to learn more about it because I, yeah. we're not getting younger. Well, it's so important, you know, and, and for me, it started when I was about eight years old. Wow. But, you know, for people that are over 40, men over 40 especially, yeah. 
you know, you really should just take care of yourself and just make, don't assume you're okay. Just make sure that yeah. you're doing things right. Be proactive yeah. rather than reactive. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, this has been great, Jason. Yeah. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for well, thank you for having yeah, me in. Thank you. Awesome. Appreciate yeah. it. Well, um, do you, you you probably you probably don't know our little tagline, but um, we we have a way that we close out every every episode, and you'll you'll be familiar with that because you actually do make chips, and it's if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam, bam. This podcast exists to improve the manufacturing industry. We want to hear from you, the owners, managers, leaders, and engineers from the metalworking nation. What ideas do you want to share, and what keeps you up at night? We want you to take something away from this podcast that you can use to improve your company, your team, and yourself. So let us know what you want to hear, and we'll see you next time on Making Chips.